As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So I'm not even sure if I need an intro for our interview today. I'm going to talk with Bob Moesta, one of the authors of the Jobs to be Done framework. If you're not familiar with the Jobs to be Done framework, go back and listen to Wednesday's full episode where we break down two of the really iconic Jobs to be Done stories, including one from uh, Bob Moesta, which she's going to talk a bit more about today. So Bob has helped launch over 3,500 products. He interned early on with Dr. Deming, who's the founder of Lean Manufacturing, and he actually helped to set up Lean Manufacturing for Ford here in the States. That was earlier on in his career, and since then, as I mentioned, he's now helped launch over 3,500 products. This is a amazing conversation about jobs to be done, finding out the job of your product, and a couple techniques you can use 
starting tomorrow or today, how to determine what job your product does and how to clearly communicate that to your clients, taking their anxieties and pain points into account. So stay tuned. We're going to get right into it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm, the podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Goldman. All right. So welcome to the show, Bob. Really excited to, to have you here today. Very excited to be here as well. I, yeah. You know, I'm, it's, it's uh, to me, it's this my my life work in terms of uh, the stuff I do, and I'm, I'm I'm happy to share. Yeah, no, I'm, and I'm so glad. Um, so give me give me kind of a an overview of how you got into product. Just just kind of oh. your your background. Yeah. So I started uh, actually um, uh, as a I started as actually a chemical engineer, but ended up being an electrical engineer. But uh, I really got into product when um, I had I actually had a summer internship with a guy by the name of W. Edward Deming, Doctor Deming. And he, I was his intern for two summers, and he was the, if you will, the father of lean and lean manufacturing. And so he took me to Japan, and, I, and Ford actually hired me to follow him around and basically learn the methods and, and build um, a system to help kind of help Ford suppliers. And so as an intern, I was just trying to understand and build case studies and do applications and things like that. But um, And I got into the manufacturing side of things, and... Eventually, I ended up getting into, well, how do we design things to be manufactured? And so ultimately, I kind of moved up up the stream to into how do we develop new products. And so for Ford, I worked uh, here in the U.S. and I worked in uh, Germany and and have been basically developing and designing products ever since. Um, I would say I've always been a as a little kid I was uh, I grew up in Detroit and I was uh, we had this thing called Big Junk Day and people would put all that stuff out and I would actually go collect stuff and build products I built speakers and I'd repair TVs and so I've always been kind of kind of fixing and tinkering and kind of that kind of thing so I'm very mechanical you know in nature and um, so to date I've uh, helped develop and launch over 3500 products um, everything from services and uh, and you know, uh, consumer packaged goods, consumer electronics, um, weapon systems. Um, I worked on uh, engines and rockets for for NASA and Department of Defense. So just about anything I can get my hands on, I'll, I'll jump into. <laughs> it's incredible. So. Um, <laughs> and one of the frameworks that you use is Jobs to Be Done. Um, yeah. Tell me, uh, like, for those that aren't familiar, um, what is Jobs to Be Done, and, and why would you use it? So the thing is, is when I, when I very early on, when I was developing product as an engineer, you'd, you'd, you'd try to listen to what consumers had to say. And you realize that, that like when you make what they want, they'd always come back and say, no, that's not what I want now. And they, it just turned out that they, I felt like they were lying to me and, and, or lying to themselves. And so as much as we do research and surveys, I just, I couldn't figure out kind of what they really meant. And I had enough failures uh, early on where it was kind of like, you know, you said you wanted this, but you know, it was like, well, I didn't know this other thing existed. So I, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out kind of how do we actually see what's next? So what I did is, is I, I, I started to look at kind of what I call the vector of progress. And so Jobs to Be Done is about people don't buy products, they hire them, which means they also fire other products. And so there's these hiring and firing criteria that are wrapped around the situational context they're in. 
And that context has kind of here's what here's what's going on, and here's what what I don't like, or here's the problem, and then there's some outcome that they seek. And so it's using that frame around that outcome and uh, the, the the context and the outcome that helps us determine kind of the vector of progress that people are trying to make. And so the job is really kind of how we make progress in our lives daily or as a as a as as individuals as teams as companies as 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 countries and so part of this is being able to understand and see these combinations of things and so it's not just the outcome but it's the the starting place they come from and it's it's helping them make that transformation from from you know the, the current state to the new state yeah and just and one of the early um projects that you worked on was selling condos in Detroit, right? Oh uh, yeah. Well, that was actually long. That, so that was about 10 years ago. I okay. did, I did. Uh, so I've been, so I had done at the time I had, um, I, bef- right before that I was running a private equity firm and, um, I was traveling a lot. And so every startup I've done, I end up traveling too much. And so when I, when, when, you know, my wife and I just had the conversation and said, well, how do we find something here locally you can do where you can apply everything you know, but you don't have to travel because I, I have four children and it's just, it was just, how do we do that? So I took all these principles and I applied them into kind of the, the, the home building and condo business. And so I, I went in with the intent of kind of, um, you know, let me learn the business. I'll take a year or two, learn the business, and then I'll start, you know, I'll inv- start investing back into the business. And I ended up loving the business, and and it turns out that as a builder, there were just so many underlying assumptions you had that people just wanted to buy the house, and it was anybody who was looking at your house never looked at used houses, and there's just all the principles that Clay has in terms of disruption that were playing out, and it was literally on a on a day to day basis, and so we 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 ended up doing interviews around basically how people why people bought our houses and so is what was the causal factors that end up getting them to our houses and we just found so many interesting things that helped us kind of um change the business and and really reframe the businesses is that you know the job that we really help people do is move from one place to another and it's almost like i think we had the phrase um move on move up building a better life and it was helping people Moving always meant that it was another, it, like they were looking forward to the next thing. So whether it was getting married, whether it was my kids going to school and I needed to, you know, we needed to pick a new school district, whether it was, you know, we're getting divorced and it's like the, the, the marriage is over. Okay. But the, moving on was still like, okay, we have to let go. So what's the housing? How do we, what's the living situation? It's, um, it's going from the big house down to the downside, you know, a downsized type house. And so really focusing on kind of those kinds of things and learning the words that they used helped us do so many different things. Um, it was, it was, it's awesome. I missed it. I think the, the, the hardest part was in 2007, December, November, December, basically um, the, 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 the model that we had is we were building specs to a certain point, which is a, a home that's like half finished, if you will. And um, in 2000, November of 2007, they stopped doing mortgages for almost six months in, in Michigan, which basically put everybody out of business. So I ended up getting out of the business. I ended up actually working for the banks and helping banks do some things. And then um, Clay had me come work with him on a couple of projects. And so I started the company I have now. But I still work in the, the building business. I have lots of friends in the building business. And it's, it's, there's nothing better than giving a family a new set of keys and watching that, you know, stopping by as they move in and, and move into their new house. It's just fa- it's fabulous. Yeah. Well, one of the, the things I, I love about that story was 
um, like personas are something that we're very familiar with in marketing. Yep. But yep. then what actually made a difference was recognizing some of the anxieties and circumstances around right. their situation. Um, can you talk to me a bit about how, um, you know, how to use anxieties and circumstances? Yeah. So there's two, two examples I can think of off the top of my head. One was, um, so we, 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 we would build these timelines. So the method is really based on um, interrogation. And so it's both criminal and intelligence t- interrogation technique more than it is uh, interview and and research. Okay. And so and so we're we're trying to actually build the timeline of why you know what caused people to get to this house. And so you 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 figure out when they bought, but you back it all the way up. And one of the things that we found, for example, in the downsizing side, is almost almost you know something like eighty three, eighty four percent of the people had the first thought of boy, it's time to move between Thanksgiving and New Year's. And, 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 and it, like, we didn't know this. It was like, well, so when did you really say, God, you know, we should really think about moving or have, for, you know, when did you really have that thought? And almost everybody talked about it being at that time of the year. And when you start to unpack it, it's, it's really, it makes a lot of sense. It's like the house is too big. The, the neighborhood is changing. We got to figure out what we're going to do. And, and it turns out that not only did downsizers do it, but just about everybody else did it too. And as a builder, we actually changed all of our, we, we actually stopped marketing in November because nobody bought a home. Right. And so we started to change some of those things. We, we actually put some different kinds of ads during the, new, uh, during the holidays. Like, you know, when, you know, as you think of where you're going to be next year, think of us kind of stuff. Right, right. right. And so, and so the, the, the other thing we found, though, is like the people would go, the downsizers would say like, yeah, you know, we thought about it. And then we got a realtor in February. And we're like, okay, so, you know, why February? And they'd be like, I don't, I don't know. It was a good friend of ours. And they talk all about the realtor that they picked up. And, okay. and it'd be like, yeah, but, but why February? And, and all of a sudden we heard, we heard this story about, um, the couple sitting around the breakfast table looking at the paper and actually turning through the, through the obituaries. And they found out that one of their friends had passed away. And they had this conversation that was pretty much like, you know, hey, Jim just died. And Sally is now left um, uh, to move the house by herself. And we don't want that to happen. We need to get on this because I don't want you to die. You don't want me to die. We don't want to do – we should do this together. And so – it's, it turns out that that these people went from what we call passive looking to active looking in the you know at this conversation. We heard it once, twice. I heard about seven or eight times. I'm like, what's up with that? And so what we did is we put some advertising in the obituaries around like time to move, need some help, give us a call. Not, nothing more than that. Right. Thirty seven percent increase in my traffic, seventy percent reduction in my advertising costs. Holy cow. <laughs> That's amazing. So, so, and and people would say, "Well, boy, that's that's really pulling on people's heartstrings." Like, but the reality is this: is they're trying to make progress. They want to do something. And when we were able to actually find that time and space where they were at, we were able to figure out a way in which to do it. Yeah. So I have I have lots of these examples, but it's, I, I, that's a really good one from a from a kind of a, a marketing perspective of just realizing that when you understand that that time and space, you can you can you can take advantage of it, and it's a, and when you get it, you don't have to be so broad. You can actually be really focused to generate what's the next step for them. So it wasn't showing them a condo; it was literally empathizing with their situation and getting them to call us to say, "Let us help you kind of frame up how you're going to move." 
Right. I mean, because it's right. a problem that they have. It's not exactly you know, death is it's, a part of life. It's and, their problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and what we were trying to do is make sure that it, most people are trying to sell a specific solution. And the reality is, is we have to realize that the real solution is created by the by our customers. And and products are only a small part of of the solution. They're never the whole solution. And so we have to frame it in the way of what like the, we got to help them make progress as opposed to just buy our product. So we're going to get right back to our interview with Bob. In fact, we're going to talk about finding causation in customer interviews. That'll be right after a word from our sponsor. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. This product series is also brought to you by Chargebee. So whether you're the CEO and want to make your developer a hero, or you're a developer and want to be a hero... Go to chargebee.com forward slash rocketship to find out more about how Chargebee is the smartest way to set up your subscription billing. So don't build this all yourself. Be a hero, get it done right, and move on to building the rest of your product. So go to chargebee.com forward slash rocketship and get started for free. Now back to our interview with Bob Moesta. Right, right. So how do you find that causation? How, like, how do you find the reason in that example, you know, that little story in, in that interview, in that timeline interview? So the interesting part is, so when I was in Japan, they always talked about what they call technology ag- agnostic or technology independent way to look at something without, without seeing the solution in it. And I could never really understand it till about five or six years later, but the notion here is this, is that if I can understand what caused you to buy my condo, so I would actually, I only interview people who have already made the progress. So somebody who, I don't want to buy, interview somebody who wants to buy a house. I actually interview people who have already bought the house because in that process of doing so, they actually have all these forces that push them and pull them, but they also had anxieties along the way. They also had habits that they had to overcome. And what happens is, is when they're in the midst of it, they actually don't, none of those are as explicit or they're, they're, if you will, in the subconscious. But afterwards, you can actually pull them back and say like, yeah, this and this happened. And I'm like, well, why would you do that? And you just dig and you dig and you start to realize like, well, I was really worried about something. And so the way we end up doing it in the simple way is we try to take people who have made the progress or tried to make progress and couldn't do it. And we, we literally build a timeline from when was the first thought you thought you should do something different to what did you try to how did you succeed? And in doing that, we're trying to not understand what they liked about the product, but what actions they took, what, what anxieties they had, what aspirations they sought, and what drove them to actually make the, the, this purchase or this, this effort. And, and from that is where how you find the causality. And what it is is you end up having to piece together like the dominoes that had to fall in order for them to end up with this product or your product in their, you know, in their hands. And, and the thing that, that, that Deming always talk about is like, you know, nothing is random. 
everything is caused. We just actually cause, we talk about random because the fact is, is that it means we can't explain it. But if I actually understand that no, there is no such thing as a random purchase, that means then I have to actually start to understand the underlying causes that have done it. And so when I do a set of interviews, I can find a whole different set of causes. And so when I get 10 interviews and put them together, I start to see patterns in causes. This happened, this happened, this happened, and then they bought. Like, wow, that happened with five people. What's up with that? And so that's where you start to see the patterns of causality that then allow you to say, what new technology or what other things can I do or what's, where's the next set of problems going to happen that I can actually innovate in? So for me, again, most of my work is actually on the execution side of innovation, but for me, I can't actually start anywhere else but here. If I can't find a, a, a job opening, a place where somebody's dissatisfied, a place where they're trying to make progress and they can't, or a new vector of progress... I don't know how to develop a product anymore. So jobs is like the first of all the different things we do before we before we launch a new product. Okay. And then once you find the the problem you work you already have kind of the marketing laid out, right? And then Well, but but I think we got you got to think about what's, you know, what what's the channel, what are, what are the different venues, how do you actually I mean there's a whole bunch of details you have to be able to do, but it 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 stopped what it stops is all this opinions back and forth of well, I think it's that or you'll say it has to so one of my favorite is is uh, if you'll do like traditional kind of research, people say, God, they just want it easy. And so from a marketing perspective, they know that if it's easy and simple, people will use it. And it's like, okay, great. But as an engineer, I have to cause easy. And so when I when I start to unpack the word easy, does it mean easy to buy? Does it mean easy to set up? Does it easy to dispose? It's easy to learn? It's easy to use? It's easy to share? What, what, what does easy mean? And what you find is there's 20 definitions of easy that I have to put together to cause it. And so if I can't understand those things, it, you know, the marketing job is done usually to get the communication. But as the engineer, my job isn't done until I actually satisfy. <laughs> right. so, so, so that's what we're trying to, trying to make sure that we connect with is not only just the language, but what they mean by the language. So if it's really about they want it easy and simple – it's like, why do they want it easy and simple? Well, they want it easy and simple because they can do it without looking. So, for example, if you remember a BlackBerry, BlackBerry had a keyboard. The number one complaint everybody has about new phones is in the old BlackBerry, you could tactily type. I could run your, my fingers across the keyboard and know how to type with never looking at it. And there were many people who did that. And so that, that was, again, one of those subtle things that people said, well, yeah, God, I, I, I don't want to get rid of my back BlackBerry because I won't be able to type. And, and nobody could understand what they meant until you started to say, well, what do you mean? And you watch, and, and you watch them type without looking. Yeah, you definitely. Okay. So, um, so those, those are the things you're looking for. So how um, – when you're when you're setting up these these interviews, how do you set them up in a way that doesn't cause like bias and 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 yep. you know so you're getting the right information out of them? Yep, yeah. So again, because the premise is that it's one, it's in the past. Two is I'm not worried about what they bought, but the progress they were seeking to make when they bought that product. Um, I'm actually just trying to get the truth, and okay. so. Um, when you start to listen to some of the interviews, we have a podcast called Jobs to be Done Radio, and we've we've got some, um, what do you call it, uh, interviews up on that. But what you realize is we start to actually, when we, when we for, so we never talk to people who want to do something. We talk to people who have actually tried and either failed or made it, but they're, they're past the, 
past the decision point. They've made some kind of commitment to do something because if I interview people who just want to buy a house and they're like, I'm, I'm in the market and I'm looking, what happens is you get, I want five bedrooms, I want three and a half baths, I want granite countertops, I want, they want, I want, I want, because there's no money involved. Right. <laughs> but the reality is when they purchase, there is no purchase that is ideal. Every purchase has a trade-off in it. And ultimately, I'm trying to use trade-offs to understand the hierarchy of what's important to them. So a very good friend of mine bought a brand new uh, um, R7 uh, Audi, $80,000 car, absolutely gorgeous, drives up, I'm like, wow, this thing is beautiful. He goes, yeah, it's great. It's, it's, it's gray. I'm like, and this is his face. I'm like, what? He goes like, well, you know, I wanted white. I'm like, but, but you just bought an $80,000 car and it's not the color you want? He goes, yeah, I had to wait two more weeks. I was like, well, it couldn't have been that important then. Like at some point, it's like if you could have waited two weeks, you could rent a car for that. I mean, there's a whole bunch of – and it's one of those things where it's like you start to realize like we make trade-offs. And as much as it says, God, I really want white and I would say white all the time, the, the reality is they, he wanted the car and he wanted to have – you know, there's a whole bunch of other things that were at play. And despite the fact of what he said he wanted, mm-hmm. he was able – willing to trade off. And so part of it is the value code of how people are – how these things are helping them make progress, that value code is embedded in all the trade-offs they make. So the interviews to me are all about helping people get to kind of those trade-offs and understand the trade-offs they're willing to make. So I literally don't ever want to talk to people who want to do something. I've only talked to, I, I talked to doers, not wannabes. Sure. Yeah. And you're trying to find more of them. And I think that makes yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. sense. And so yeah. if, if anything, that's the hardest part. So, so for example, in software, what we'll do is, well, I want, I want, you know, five, five people who have recently signed up in the last 90 days. Like I, I don't want them like in a week last week. I want them to have some time with it and play with it. But they had to do it, let's say, in the last ninety to to one hundred eighty days. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what caused you to sign up for this? What else did you look at? Why did you look at this? Okay, what was your expectation when you signed up? All right, how are you using it? Does it living up those expectations? Like all that story, you know, helps us be able to see that. The other is I would take five people who have left my product. So from a software perspective, it's like, you know, they just canceled the subscription and they were pretty, I'd say pretty heavy users or users that have used it in a way as opposed to people just dabbling in it. Mm -hmm. And you say like, you know, I don't, this is not about getting you back, but tell me the journey of how you decided to go somewhere else. Where did you go? Why did you go? And the, the best part is if you ask them up front, they'll, 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 they'll say a bunch of kind of excuses and they almost never match to the real reasons why they actually left. So a survey at the end, an exit interview survey to say, why are people, God, it's too expensive. What you'll find is like, yeah, it didn't have the features or there was way too many features that it had that I couldn't actually figure out. It was too complicated. So it was, you know, it was just, I needed something simpler. So, you know, it's just too expensive. Like the, their logic of how they answer the question is just so convoluted, but it gets down to is not what they usually say. Interesting. Um, when yep. you're entering a new market, uh, habit is one of the biggest things that you have to overcome. Yeah. How do it's you like, approach when you're when you're up against like a fixed habit? Yeah, so so I think the habit is 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 one of those forces you really have to like. Um, in, a, in in a lot of cases, the habit when it's so strong, you can't even get into the consideration set. They don't even know that there's a problem. 
they think it's themselves that's causing the problem as opposed to like the like the lawnmower for example the the, the you know it won't start they can't pull it they think it, people will sit there and go yeah i didn't get the right oh that gas is kind of old and like all of a sudden it's like you know they have all these other things wrapped around it that they blame themselves around it they actually never think like well, maybe i need a new lawnmower interesting yeah <laughs> right you know, I, I there's a in the, this book I have that, that I've been working with Clay on. It comes out in October. We have a, a, a mattress interview, and this guy goes in and he says, "Yeah, I did a total impulse purchase on a mattress from Costco," and he talks about the whole thing and tells me about how he bought it and everything else. And then you go like, "Well, how long have you been not sleeping well?" He goes, two years," and he starts to talk about all these different things of in his life that he did to try to compensate until he finally came to the conclusion that it was the mattress, which is the habit. And so, so part of it is being able to understand kind of the ahas that people come to, to realize that the habit is the problem and not, and not them. And so studying the habit is really, really important. And is that something that you can speak to um, in the marketing or in the product? Like how do you address it? For sure. It's like, so, so this guy, he drank scotch, he worked out really hard and he, and he, he tried to stay up late so he could sleep more. So my thing is, 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 is it really you or is it your mattress? In the advertising, you could frame it up so easily to say like, like, oh my God, I do that and that. Maybe it is my mattress. So you (laughs) can actually start to make them aware of it. And it's, and and because I always think of people are the real innovators and what we want to do is understand the innovations that I always think of everybody's early adopters. And so the, the, the moments that they make these choices, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of people behind them going like, I got, I got to go work out more. My back hurts. It's it's a mattress, dude. You know? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I love it. Um, do, do you know what I mean? Like, like it's the funniest part is like when people get the new mattress, it's kind of like, wow, it, like almost the, the average time between when people, people, first of all, don't even know how to buy a mattress. Right. They don't know how, what to look for in a mattress. They have no idea about the quality characteristics of a mattress and they want to get it over as fast as possible. And they're still never sure whether their, ma- their old mattress is bad or not. <laughs> right. Huge opportunities. <laughs> And yet it's something you use every single day. Every single day. Yeah. Like in my field, like I don't want to go to the mattress store. Everybody else is laying down on that stuff. Like, okay, how are we supposed to buy a mattress? Uh, you know, we'll order it from Amazon and we'll just ship it back. Okay. And you'll be surprised how many mattresses Amazon sells. You will wow. be, you would be just surprised. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, man. So the, the, the key to the story though, is this, is that struggling moments are, are the seed for all innovation. The more we can find these struggling moments where people struggle and especially where they blame themselves, God, you know, I'm just out of shape. I got to go work out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like my, you know, my back hurts, you know, I, 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 you know, it's just the stress I'm working too hard. Like, but the moment they're struggling, the fact is, is they never look to the product side. And so my thing is, is trying to find those struggling moments where people want to make progress, but they can't, that's where innovation, that's where innovation needs to be. Yeah. Well, I think that's the perfect place to leave it here. Um, yeah. I mean, thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, I really appreciate it. Where can we keep up with you? Um, uh, jobs to be done so, podcast, uh, everything. Job, yeah. So we have jobs to be done.org is a, is kind of a collective place where we pull everything around jobs to be done uh, together. So anybody who writes anything or publishes anything, we try to put it all in one place. We have something called uh, Jobs to be Done Radio on iTunes. So it's a 30 or so podcast. It's one of those things we've 
We haven't done a new one in a while, but there's a really good depth of uh, interviews with people like Jason Fried and Ryan Singer and um, just pe- different people come from all over um, who are jobs, you know, uh, people who have been doing jobs for a while, and then we have interviews and stuff like that. And then you can just follow me at, at bmesta, uh, B-M-O-E-S-T-A, on Twitter, and, um, you know, that's, that's the best place to get a hold of me. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. I really hope you're enjoying this product series so far. We still have a little ways to go. There's like eight more episodes all on product, four interviews, four full episodes. On Wednesday, we're doing an interview on using data to inform your customer decisions, so you don't want to miss that. We're going to hear back from Ben Foster and hear a bit about his time at eBay. So that'll be incredibly insightful. Big thanks to our sponsors, Team Gant. Go to teamgant.com forward slash rocketship and use the code SAVEONTG to get 50% off your first six months. And by Brand Bucket, go to brandbucket.com forward slash rocketship. You get a special offer. Plus, you can get your next company name, logo, and domain all in one spot, just like Mattermark. You really can't lose there. And by Chargebee. Chargebee is the easiest way to set up your subscription billing. Go to chargebee.com forward slash rocketship and get set up for free. So follow us on Twitter at rocketshipfm. You can follow me at Michael Saka, Joel at Joel Goldman. And we'll see you back here in just a couple days. And if you're still listening... Shoot us an email, team at Rocketship FM, or tweet us at Rocketship FM. And I want to get a pack of stickers into your hands absolutely free. All you got to do is let us know that you're listening, and I will send them right to your door. So that's team at Rocketship FM or at Rocketship FM on Twitter. <laughs>